reading today is from Genesis 3, verses 1 to 21, and I believe it's on page 2 of the Pew Bible. <coughs> now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. And dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. 
The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Leslie. Father God, I pray today that you will open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, enable us to understand the message of Christmas that's to be found in this particular story. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just recently I was talking to the chap who was uh, servicing our septic system. And uh, he was talking a bit about Christmas, asked whether I was ready for it. I said, no. He said, well, I'm ready for it. I'm buying stuff for all the kids. He said, Christmas is all about the kids. I said, really? That's interesting. <laughs> he says, yeah, I love getting up, dressed up as Santa. And he's got a much better beard than I have. And he looks a little bit like a small Santa, same sort of shape. And uh, I said, oh, well, I'm sure you'll, you'll enjoy that experience. And he said, yeah, it's all for the kids. It's all for the kids, mate. That's what it's all about. Well, today I want to uh, not talk about a message for the kids and not about Santa and beards and eating too much, buying presents for people you might not even like, hoping to get something that you might find useful, perhaps. I want to focus in what was Christmas really all about? What is the story of Christmas? So I thought, well, the best place to find a story about Christmas is to go right to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Now, it might seem like a really strange place to, to find a Christmas theme and to preach about Christmas, but here in the, in the midst of, of, of humankind's greatest tragedy is also the revelation of our greatest hope. Because in this tale of sin and judgment and death, we, meet the, we see this wonderful passage about the gospel and about the person of the Lamb of God. And we see this for the very first time in the Bible. So let's just think about the context of this passage for a moment. God has made man in his image and he's created him in perfect innocence and placed him in the perfect environment. Adam's been given dominion over the Lord's entire creation and he's been presented with this perfect companion, <coughs> a woman called Eve. <coughs> Excuse me. They live in an idyllic existence. There's no pain, there's no disease, there's no sorrow. Every one of their needs is met. They have fellowship with God. I mean, they walk with God. They see him face to face. The only restriction regards one tree in the Garden of Eden. The tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam is warned to stay away from the tree because eating its fruit will bring death into the world. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. Let's just read them for a second. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So it says, you eat that and death is going to enter into existence. And for an undefined period of time, things are going very well in the garden until one day Eve finds herself confronted by a serpent controlled by Satan. And this serpent tells her that God is holding out on her and on her Adam. And he tells Eve that God doesn't want them eating the fruit because if they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're going to be like God. And Eve succumbs to the temptation and eats that fruit. Adam falls for the same lie listens to his wife and eats the fruit as well. And in an instant, everything has changed. 
They're no longer innocent. They're no longer pure. They become sinners. They become fallen beings. And they are aware that everything has changed. They become ashamed because of their nakedness. And they sew together some fig leaves into aprons. Wonderful form of clothing that must have been. But in the midst of this tragedy, God comes into the garden to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. He calls out to them because they've hidden themselves from him. And then he extracts this confession from Adam. And then the blame game begins. Adam blames Eve and God. And, God says, and Eve says, no, it's the serpent's problem. God immediately pronounces judgment upon Adam, Eve and the serpent. And he casts them out of the Garden of Eden. But right in the middle of this incredible tragedy, there's also a wonderful flicker of hope. Open up your Bible, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 15. This is a wonderful verse of Scripture. God's talking and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So he's talking to Satan here. And between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Proto-evangelium. This is in the Latin. It's the first gospel. It's the beginning of the gospel. And here we see the whole story of Jesus in a little nutshell. It's right there. This is the first gospel. This is all about God saving people through his grace. And here for the first time we see this little glimpse of the Lamb of God who later is going to give his life on the cross to redeem the lost and dying world. Here we see the first stitch of that thread of redemption that's right throughout the whole of the Bible. In this precious verse, we get the very first promise regarding the coming of Jesus. This is also prophetic, this particular word. So let's have a look, about, let's have a look at the Lamb of God who was promised. I want you to, to focus in on the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, it says. Let's have a look at his personality, first of all. The Lamb of God, he is unique in his origin. We are told that the one who's coming is going to be the seed of a woman. That's very interesting, that verse, because it's a very strange statement because by God's very design, seed is always provided by the male member of the species. That's how it works. And here we are told that the woman will produce an offspring without the aid of a man. So this gives us the first kernel of that great truth, which is going to be revealed later on down the road, the prophecy of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Satan didn't understand this. Adam and Eve didn't understand it. But God indicates that he's going to send his lamb into the world through a woman without the involvement of a man. Of course, we all know that's how the birth of Jesus came about, don't we? Isaiah prophesied about it. The angel Gabriel announced it to Mary and to Joseph. But why is this important, that there be no man involved in this particular process? Why? Well, the Bible very clearly teaches that the sin nature is handed down through man. Romans 5 verse 12 says, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. Every person who entered this world through the old-fashioned method of the sexual union between a man and a woman has inherited the sin nature. Now, Okay, before someone says very cleverly to me after the end of the service, what about those that are conceived by in vitro, in vitro fertilization or something like that? The seed still comes from a man, all right? You can't do it without that. It doesn't work. 
So we all inherit the sin nature. In fact, the Bible tells us we are sinners at birth. We've just got no more choice. Ever since Adam, we've all got the same problem. The birth of Jesus, however, was very different. Since he came into the world without a human father, he was born without the taint of sin. And since he was born pure and sinless, he was also qualified now to die for the sins of humanity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now there's a whole sermon in that one all by itself. I haven't got time to go in there this morning. But the birth of Jesus is particularly unique in the fact that he was no ordinary human baby. He was God in the flesh. We need to understand that. He was unique in his origin. He was sinless from the very beginning. He was also unique in his occupation because this, this scripture which we read, it says that he's going to crush the serpent's head. When you crush the head of a serpent, that's a fatal injury. Some of you might have done that. We're not allowed to do that around here anymore, but you know, I find that sometimes snakes are really stupid and they jump up and they beat the head on the bottom of my spade. I don't know why they do that. It's a fatal injury when you crush its head, isn't it? So the lamb was coming into the world, into the world, world of into the world of God of people. This lamb of God, which is what I'm going to call him constantly, right? Throughout this whole thing, he was coming into the world not to show us a better way to live. He was not coming to improve our environment. He was not coming to improve our social standing. He was coming to defeat evil. That's why Jesus came. That was his sole mission. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. That promised one, who's promised right there in the beginning of the Bible, was coming to deliver humanity from sin into which it had just fallen. Now, many men and women were going to battle evil over the years, but this one who was coming was going to deal it a death blow. He was coming to do what people couldn't do for themselves. He was coming to secure liberty and salvation from sin. And we're going to say some more about that in a moment. Let's have a look at the purpose of this promised Lamb of God. He would come as a warrior. The Bible says there was going to be enmity between him and Satan. Enmity means hatred or an enemy. So, of course, this brings it to mind, you know, people generally don't like snakes. You know, the instant reaction, oh, snake, run away. Most people aren't like me and grab them. You've seen pictures of that. But the enmity or the hatred referred to here runs far deeper than that of, of, of us hating snakes. It refers to the hatred of Satan, the, the hatred he possesses towards the Lord and all that the Lord Jesus represents. It refers to the hatred that resides in the heart of the devil that caused him to attack Adam and Eve in the garden and tempt them to sin. It's a hatred that desires nothing less than the overthrow of God. That's what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to overthrow God. Now, how do I know that? Well, let's have a look at, for a moment, another prophet. Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 12 to 16. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. In the Latin Vulgate, that's Lucifer. There he is. We know him. His name, Satan, Lucifer. How you have fallen from heaven, O Satan, O Lucifer, 
morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You have said in your heart, here it is, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to overthrow God. Where else do we find it? Well, the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 to 19. Another interesting word spoken by the Lord God. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were, now this is referring to a human being, but it also refers prophetically to Satan. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Ah, there he is. The garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching. All the nations who knew you were appalled at you and you become a horrible end and will be no more. Well, that, of course, is going to happen eventually at the end in the book of Revelation. We hear about that when he gets thrown into the lake of fire. So there's this incredible battle going on. Satan wants to usurp God. That's the battle that's raging in the Garden of Eden. And I think it's actually less to do with human beings than it is to do with the battle between Satan and God. But human beings were God's representative. And Satan said, okay, if I can take their place, I can eventually take God's place. And we are told that there is one coming into the world. He's coming in as a warrior. He's going to engage in warfare with a very determined enemy. He's going to take up the fight that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. And he's going to come and do battle with Satan himself. And that's, of course, exactly what Jesus did. So the instant this prophecy was given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, until the moment that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, Satan does everything that he possibly can to stop the seed of the woman from being born. We read about the fact that Cain killed Abel. Abel was the line of righteousness. He was trying to stop that. Satan sought to corrupt the human bloodline through evil marriages. We hear about that in Genesis chapter 6 where, where women were engaging in some sort of relationship with, with demonic beings. He tried to kill the people of Israel in Egypt. Do you remember that? He tried to bring about their destruction by leading them into gross idolatry during the kingdom years of Israel. All this is happening because Satan wants to try and, and stop Jesus coming into the world. And when Jesus is born, Satan tries to destroy him as an infant. Remember all the, all the young boys who have to be killed? Herod, Herod issued that decree. He tries to lead Jesus into sin on the Mount of Temptation. He tries to get Jesus to claim the crown without going to the cross. 
And surely when he saw Jesus die on that cross, he thought, now I've won this fight. What Satan didn't realize was that the greatest salvo fired by heaven was the instant that God became sin and died in a sinner's place. Jesus, that Lamb of God, he came into the world as a mighty warrior. There's a battle going on here and it's so exciting. It's prophesied here. That's why I'm a Christian, by the way, because of prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. I see it fulfilled throughout this book. You're like, right, now I know who this is talking about. This one who was coming, this promised lamb, he's going to come as a winner. The serpent is told he's going to strike the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Striking the heel refers to an injury that's not going to stop you. You might limp for a while when you get struck on the heel, but if someone crushes your head, you're finished. So the serpent might strike the heel of the coming lamb, but the lamb is going to crush the head of the serpent. Of course, that is all fulfilled on the cross of Jesus. The lamb of God endured death for God's people, but death could not hold him down, praise God. We know that three days later he rose from the dead. Isn't that true? That's fact. Fact which is recorded for us in the scriptures. In his dying and rising again, Jesus inflicted a mortal wound upon the head of the serpent that ultimately will end in him being sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire. It's referred to in, Genesis, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. So the prince of life, he enters into the arena of battle with the prince of death. And when the battle ends, the prince of life emerges as the lone victor. As the Bible says, he's the first fruits from the dead. And because of that, he can promise eternal life to each of us who put our faith in him. We're not just on the winning side. We've actually already won in Christ. We've already won. It's done for us. So after God pronounces judgment on the guilty parties, he does something very remarkable. The Bible tells us that God himself slays a beast of some kind. And he uses its skin to make garments for Adam and Eve. This is a graphic scene of death. And it's also a wonderful portrait about the coming Lamb of God. Because it's a portrait of sacrifice. Just think of this for a moment. Here you are in the Garden of Eden. A perfect place. No death. You've never seen anything die. You've never seen blood. And here Adam and Eve witness death for the very first time. They watch as God, with his own hands, slaughters an animal and provides a covering for their nakedness. It's, what, it's in this instant they see firsthand the price of sin. The wages of sin is death. Because of their sin, something died on their behalf. An animal is slaughtered for them. And I see here a very clear portrait of the coming Lamb of God. This is what he's going to do too. Remember that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Remember that he never sinned. He didn't deserve to die. He came into the world to have his heel bruised so that he could crush the head of the serpent. Look at the cross. Look at the cross of Jesus. See the Lamb of God nailed to that cross. Think about his tormentors as they spat in his face. Watch them as they pluck his beard from his cheeks. Listen as they mock him, curse him and deride him. Watch as the very people he came into the world to save, they deliver him up to be crucified. Can you hear the sound of the whip on his back? Feel the agony as he's nailed to that cross of wood, lifted up between heaven and earth. 
Watch as the blood pours from his wounds. His head, his hands, his feet, his back. And blood runs down that cross. There's a pool of blood on the, on, the, on the ground under the cross. Understand that everything that Jesus went through, every lash on his back, every agony he suffered, every disgrace he endured, everything he suffered during his life, his trial and his death was because of your and my sin. He was marred for us. He bled for us. He died for us. We need to realize that the cross of Jesus Christ is God's great billboard and it screams out his love for fallen people. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to look at that scene and we need to recognize God's hatred against sin. And we also need to look at that scene and recognize God's love for us. We need to look at the Savior. And when we look to the Savior, raised up, we can live. As we put our faith in Him. It's not only a portrait of sacrifice, what's going on here, the slaughtering of that animal. It's also a portrait of sufficiency. Because after Adam and Eve sinned, that they become aware of their nakedness, they attempt to cover themselves up by making aprons of fig leaves. But their efforts are insufficient. Have you ever tried to sew leaves together? You might have done something like that as a kid. Hey, you make, make some sort of thing. It just doesn't work. Hey? They fall apart in an instant. Their efforts were insufficient. So God kills an innocent animal to provide a covering for their bodies. God wanted to show them and to show us that the works of our flesh, the things that we do, can never cover up our sinfulness. It requires the death of an innocent in the place of a guilty Sin taken away only through the shedding of innocent blood. Hebrews 9 verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Sacrifice is so important that we understand what's going on. Because here in this, in this little reading from Genesis, we see the inability of human beings to make themselves presentable before God by our own efforts. You can't. The very best we can do is always to woefully fall short. And we've tried to craft for ourselves all sorts of garments. Some of us get very religious. We go to church. Don't do anything else, but we go to church. So, oh, God will accept me because I go to church. Well, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. If I go sit in my garage, I don't become a car, do I? Huh? Same as sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. We try and do all sorts of things to make ourselves acceptable to God. We become Christians by our faith in Jesus. That's what it's about, okay? Just in case you've forgotten what that's about. We can't provide coverings for ourselves. So when Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes into the world and he dies on the cross, he provides a covering that's sufficient for us, a covering for our sin. And Jesus robes us with his righteousness. Righteousness is right standing. We have right standing with God. We have the standing of the Son of God with God because of our faith in Him. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son, after he comes to his senses, you know, he's out there eating a pig pen. He's got nothing to eat there. He comes home to his father. And what does his father do? His father runs out to meet him. 
and calls for him to be clothed with one of his own cloaks and puts his ring on his finger. As soon as he's dressed in the father's clothes and wearing the father's ring on his finger, if you just bowled up to him in the crowd, he would have been mistaken for the father, wouldn't he? You would have said, oh, there's the father. It was the son. We are the same. When we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ, we could be mistaken for God. Or Jesus, anyway. Eh? That's the righteousness we have. How wonderful that is. Our sin is covered up. See, the whole point of this is that you can try anything you please. It could be religion, it could be good works, it could be clean living, all that sort of thing. You can try and do what you want to please God, but nothing is sufficient to deal with your sin problem until you come to Jesus and are saved by faith through grace. That's the only way it ever works. Then and only then can you stand before the Lord and be accepted by Him. Then on the last day, Jesus is going to present you to the Father. Perfect, righteous, holy. How good is that? Only Jesus Christ and only his blood which is shed for us is sufficient to allow us to stand in the presence of God. John chapter 1 verse 29 says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Lamb of God that this particular passage in Genesis is referring to. That's what this is all about. It comes out there. Now, I'm very sorry that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Imagine what the world would be like today if they hadn't. But they did. And because of that, you and I are born into a world with a desperate sin problem. And I thank God that he saw our need and he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to die on the cross as the perfect lamb, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. So as we enter into this Christmas season, do you know for sure the real reason for the season? It's not about the tree and that fat bloke with a beard and the presents and all that stuff. Do you know Jesus has more than simply a baby in a manger? Do you know Jesus as your personal saviour? Or is he just a story in a book? A sweet thought, but nothing more. You need to be sure about this. Because you see, just as surely as Adam and Eve came to the end of their lives and eventually died and went out into eternity, that's exactly what we're going to do. And we need to know where we go when that event happens. And where you go hinges upon what you do with Jesus Christ in this life. Are you a saved person? Can you say that you are born again in your spirit, made brand new through faith in Jesus Christ? If you are, praise the Lord. That's exciting. If you're not, you still can be. The Lord is, is, is calling everyone to come to him now. Now's the time to do that. Now's the time to make sure that you have a relationship with God through your faith in Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. The Spirit of God is still active upon the earth. When the Spirit leaves, that's when all those opportunities are over. We still have opportunity now. Take the opportunity and pray for those who haven't yet taken the opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can look in our Bibles and we can go right back to the beginning and see that already back then you're putting things into place to make sure that we will be saved.
to make sure that we will be on the victorious side. Father, I pray today for each of us here that we will have come to that place of personally putting our trust in Jesus, of having faith in him, of resting our full weight upon him and upon nothing else that we've done, simply trusting in Jesus as the one who lived, died and rose again on our behalf. But Father, we know that there are still so many others who need to respond to this message particularly during this Christmas time, which is so hectic and so frustrating and so difficult for so many families. So, Father, as we talk about Christmas with everybody we come to in these days, enable us to put the right focus in and to tell them about the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Help us, Lord, to be really good in our witness for you. And may you receive the glory, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.